Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. In trying to think what I might say to you that would uh, be of the most interest I decided that I wouldn't preach doctrine to you. I could do that if you don't believe it. Read the marvelous work and the wonder in Israel, do you know? (laughs) I imagine that uh, I might be the oldest person here this morning. There could be others, but I doubt that. (laughs) So I figure that I've seen more things happen Uh, during my period of mortality than any of you have. And I thought, you know, it's a habit of old people to reminisce. I thought first I'd tell you a few things out of ancient history, and uh, (laughs) then with all these missionaries over here, I might end up with some missionary stories. First, you've already been told by President Oaks that I... Um, the oldest living general authority. I want to tell you that I have known all of the general authorities of this church from the days of Wilford Woodruff, and I think I've heard them all preach since the days of Wilford Woodruff. That's a lot of them when you count all the members of the 12 that there have been and all the presidents of the church. My father raised us out in the country, out in Twilla, and there never was a conference passed after we were old enough to sit still in a conference that he didn't bring his boys, three of us, in to attend the general conferences. Of course, we didn't have automobiles in those days near paved roads, but with the old white top on our team, we'd drive in. He wanted his boys to know all of the general authorities of the church. So he wanted us to attend all the conferences so we could hear them speak and so forth. I was in that tabernacle when Wilford Woodruff, I think it was the last talk that he gave before he died, when he told how marvelously the Spirit of the Lord had guided and directed him through the late years of his life. Now, if you've read his history and his missionary book, how he moved on to another town and brought all those people in. But I can remember, uh, this has been over 80 years ago, and I can remember to this day some of the things that he spoke in that conference. I'm going to mention a couple of them. You've heard them, but I heard him give them. First... (laughs) First was when he was traveling with his wife, and uh, I think it down in the south. And um, in the middle of the night, the spirit said, "Get up and move your team and wagon." And he got up out of his wagon and moved his team that was tied to a oak. And along came a twister and picked that oak up and threw it right where his wagon had been standing. And that oak had stood there. Uh, hundred years, and yet right while he was in that wagon that night, that twister came and picked it up. And I can hear Brother Woodruff saying, 
If I hadn't have listened to the promptings of the Spirit of the Lord, it might have cost us our lives. Then he told in that same conference about bringing a group of uh, uh, converts from Great Britain. <clears throat> they landed down in New Orleans, and he was negotiating with a captain there uh, to take them up the river up to the to St. Louis, where they would arrange to cross the plains to get over here to these valleys of the mountains. And he said while he was negotiating with the captain of that boat, something said, don't go on that boat, either you or your people. So he thanked the captain. And that boat had no more sailed up the river than it caught fire and burned, and there wasn't a soul saved that was on that boat. And I can hear President Woodruff standing there all these 80 years ago, and he said, if I hadn't listened to the promptings of the Spirit of the Lord, we wouldn't have had Brother So-and-So naming one of the good brethren, and Brother So-and-So, another of the good brethren, who was on that, uh, was with him on that, uh, uh, with that group that he brought from Europe. Well, there are things you never forget. There are impressions in my youth that have remained with me from that time until the present time. Now, um, my grandmother was the wife of Dr. Willard Richards, who was in jail with the prophet. And um, you may have heard this story, but the prophet turned to Dr. Willard Richards and he said, Willard, if I'm condemned to the dungeon, will you go with me? And Willard said, you didn't ask me to cross the river with you. You didn't ask me to come to Carthage with you. You didn't ask me to come to this prison with you. Now I'll tell you what I will do. If you're condemned to hang for treason, I'll hang for you. But the prophet said, but Willard, you couldn't do that. I have a copy of a letter that, brother, that the prophet's supposed to have written when he said that he'd found a man who could be trusted in all things and that man was Dr. Willard Richards. When I came home from my first mission in 1908, my grandmother was still alive, and I visited with her, and I said, Grandma, tell me about the prophet Joseph. And she told me what a wonderful man he was and how the people loved him and how he loved them and how he used to take little children on his lap and sing to them and tell them stories. And then she told me about being in the meeting when uh, Sidney Rigdon thought that he'd ought to succeed uh, uh, the prophet. And she said when Brigham Young stood up, he looked like the prophet Joseph, he sounded like the prophet Joseph, and we all knew who the Lord wanted to succeed the prophet as the president of the church. Their experiences of the past that have meant a lot to me in my life. See what I want to say next. <laughs> now I'll skip on to 1906, when my father was called to be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. There are three men appointed on that same conference in this order. George F. Richards, my father, um, Orson F. Whitney and David O. McKay. 
Well, I was at that time serving as the secretary of the Netherlands mission. And just a few days before that conference was held, I received a letter from my father, and it read like this. He said, my son, I had a remarkable dream last night. He said, I dreamed that the Savior came and took me in his arms. As I found me in my master's embrace, he said, the love that filled my heart can't be compared with the love that a man feels for a woman. He said, I feel the meaning of the words of the song, I need thee every hour. And um, then just the two or three days after I received that letter, a telegram or cablegram came to our office, the mission headquarters, and uh, the president and I used to open any telegrams. It was headed for President Grant, who was then president of the European mission, and he was up in Berlin. And we'd open the telegrams to see if it was important enough to try to relay it. This telegram, I can quote you the exact words. It's read this way. Charlie and Taylor deposed. Richards, Whitney, and McKay appointed. Now, I figured when I read that, that that dream that my father just had, uh, that I just received in that letter, was to let him know that, his, uh, that he was being called by revelation. Well, President Grant was due in Rotterdam the next morning, so I went to the station to meet him. I handed him the telegram. Oh, I'd seal it up again, and I handed it to him. <laughs> and he opened it and read it. And he said, well, well, Taylor and Whitney, Taylor and uh, Cowley DePauls, Richards, Whitney, and McKay appointed. He said, this man Taylor's had more visions than all the rest of us put together. And then he said, I wonder who this Richards could be. I could have told him, but I waited for him to tell me. He said, there's your father, your Uncle Charlie, your Uncle Franklin, and then he said, I guess it's your daddy. Brother Lyman thinks he's the salt of the earth. Well, there are experiences that you don't usually forget. Let's see what I want to tell you next. <laughs> now, uh, out in the little country town where I was raised, we used to have Sunday school conferences. I don't know whether you have any of them anymore or not. But I can remember a conference held there about 80 years ago, when the visiting brethren from the Sunday School General Board was Brother Carl G. Mazur and Brother George Goddard. Now, I thought I'd mention that because of the fact that Brother Carl G. Mazur was the man who organized this institution under the direction of President Brigham Young. And I can remember to this, I can't remember to this day what Brother Mazur preached about in that conference, but I can remember old Brother George Goddard. He had a great singing voice, a long beard, and I can remember the songs he taught us to sing in that conference. The first one, I don't think it's in the songbook anymore. It goes like this. Take away the whiskey, the coffee, and the tea. Cold water. Cold water is the drink for me, and then it repeats and goes on. <laughs> that, that made such an impression upon me as a boy 
I can hardly drink anything but cold water. <laughs> I was traveling on the train headed for Los Angeles a few years back, and I went in the diner for breakfast, and the waiter said, Are you ready for your coffee? No, thank you. Would you like some tea? No, thank you. Would you have some postum? No, thank you. Would you like a glass of milk? No, thank you. What do you want to drink? I said, a glass of cold water, please. He said, you're the funniest man I ever did see. <laughs> the next song that Brother uh, uh, Goddard taught us to sing in that uh, Sunday school conference when I didn't know I couldn't sing, I tried to sing with him. And it goes like this. This is still in the songbook. Who's on the Lord's side? Who? Now is the time to show. We ask it fearlessly. Who's on the Lord's side? Who? And brothers and sisters, right there as a boy, I resolve the Lord being my helper. I'd try and be on his side as long as I live. I was up in Wyoming some years ago and talking in the conference to the young people and between the morning and the afternoon meeting, we used to hold an afternoon meeting then, a little fellow about six or eight years came up and looking up in my face, he said, Bishop, can I shake your hand? I said, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than shake yours. And while we were shaking on it, he was looking up in my face and he said, Bishop, my bishop will never need to worry about losing me. I could have hugged the little fellow. I find that wonderful to think that that little boy and his uh, youth like that had resolved that he'd be on the Lord's side all the days of his life. Well, there are great experiences. Well, let's see what else I want to tell you. <laughs> now, I think I'll step over some of my missionary experiences. This one might interest you. While I was laboring as the district president in Amsterdam on my first mission, my companion and I were invited to the home of one of the saints. She wanted to invite her neighbor in and wanted us to come and teach her the gospel. When we arrived, the neighbor was there, but she brought her minister along with her to make sure that, uh, you know, that we told her the right things. Well, the minister and I had a little difference of opinion on priesthood, and right there he challenged me for a debate in his church. In those days we were not advised not to debate, and so I accepted the challenge. I was young and <laughs> had a lot of fight in me. And when we arrived at his church a week from Saturday night, the church was full. All of his people were there. All of our people, how our people found it out, I don't know. I didn't tell them. I think he got the word around and thought he'd show me off. So he stood up and he said, Now, inasmuch as Mr. Richards is a guest in our church, we'll accord him the privilege of opening the debate. And we'll each talk for 20 minutes and continue as long as it's mutually agreeable. He said, is that agreeable to you, Mr. Richards? And I said, very much. I didn't tell him, but I would have given him the shirt off of my back for the privilege of opening that debate, and he just handed it to me on a silver platter. I didn't know whether the Lord had anything to do with that or not, but I thought he did. <clears throat> so I stood up, and I said, the last time I talked with my friend, 
we had a difference of opinion in regard to the principle of, of the priesthood. I said, I've come tonight prepared to talk about, to discuss that subject, but I don't propose to start at that subject. Now, this is the thing that's helped me in my work. I said, if you're going to build a house, you wouldn't try to put the roof on it before you got the foundation in, would you? Because if the foundation were faulty, the house would tumble anyway, so what good would the house be? So I said, I propose to open this debate tonight by laying the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I choose for my text the sixth chapter of Hebrews, where Paul said, Leaving the principles of the gospel of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of faith toward God and of dead works and the doctrine of baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I hurried over faith and repentance. I thought they believed that. I spiked baptism by immersion for the remission of sins down till everybody in the audience was giving me a card. Then it came to the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they didn't believe that. They thought the Holy Ghost just came like the breezes that blow from the heavens. And I uh, reminded them that when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God through the preaching of Philip, they sent Peter and John, and when they arrived, they prayed for them. They laid their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon the sorcerer saw that the Holy Ghost was conveyed by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give unto me this power, that upon whomsoever I lay my hands, they may receive the Holy Ghost like unto these. And Peter said, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast meant that the gifts of God can be purchased with money. Then I gave two or three other references on laying on the hands, and I sat down. He stood up. He never mentioned a word I'd said. He started in on a few of the bad things that our enemies had said against us, and then in the most courteous manner, now if Mr. Richards will enlighten us on these matters, I'm sure this audience will be most appreciative. I was on my feet just like that. My companion said, how did you think so fast? I said, what have you been praying for all week long? I said, and I stood up and I said, in the days of the Savior, his enemies tried to trick him with cunningness and craftiness. I said, I don't suppose there's anyone here today who'd like to see us resort to those old tactics. I said, if I understand the debate, it's the presentation and answering of argument. Has this man answered any of my arguments? Everybody went like that, I said. <laughs> I said, okay, my friend, you may have your 20 minutes over again. <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. I knew he couldn't. His wife stood up in the audience, and she said, what Mr. Richards is asking is fair. You ought to answer him. And then he wouldn't do it. I said to my companions, stand up, give me my coat and hat. It was winter time. And I said, one more chance. I said, I'm willing to remain here till 10 o'clock tomorrow morning when I have to be in my own church, provided this debate can go forward on the basis that you've set it up. But I said, if not, I'm going to leave and ask my companions to leave and ask our people to leave 
and I'll leave it with you to settle with your people for what's happened here today, tonight. And then he wouldn't do it. We all walked out on him. I met him on the street time and time again after that, and he'd duck his head so he didn't have to speak to me. Well, um, <laughs> that's one of my little experiences there. Let's see what else I want to do. <laughs> now I'll tell you one of a little more recent uh, vintage. A year ago last uh, June, I was asked to accompany the presidency to Denver to hold one of these solemn assemblies. And after that, we went down to Farmington, New Mexico, held a solemn assembly there. And as we were headed back for Denver to get our plane back home, our plane landed in Alamosa, uh, and um, there was something wrong, and they wouldn't take off until they got some repairs shipped in from Denver. And we could either stay in the plane or go in the airport. The presidency sat right in the front of the plane. I sat next to them, Brother Neil Maxwell on the other side and one of the regional representatives of the 12, Brother Patterson. And um, the captain came out of his uh, cockpit and he knew we were all Mormons. And he said something and Brother Tanner of the first presidency spoke up and he said, you better not let Legrand start on him. I'm Legrand, see. <laughs> That opened the door, and so I started on him. <laughs> I said, Captain, I can tell you two reasons why you couldn't be anything but a Latter-day Saint if you'll just use your thinker and you're willing to believe in the words of the Holy Prophets and the Savior of the world. So I told him what those two things were. I got them in the forepart of the marvelous work and the wonder that I wrote. The first one is that... Um, the, one of our uh, uh, broadcasters, Edwin C. Hill, was asked what message he could be broadcast to the world that would be considered of greater importance than any other message. And he said after considering the matter, he decided that to be able to say to the world that a man who'd lived upon this earth had returned again with a message from God would be the greatest message that could be broadcast to the world. I said, the Latter-day Saints are the only ones that claim such a visit, not only of one man, but many of the holy prophets, and we built a monument back in New York to the honor of one of those men who returned again with a message from God. That was Moroni. And then uh, the other one was the statement of the Catholic prelate who visited in Salt Lake. And Brother Orson F. Whitney told about his visit. He said he could talk a dozen different languages. He knew all about science and religion. And he said, you Mormons are all ignoramuses. He said, you don't know the strength of your own position. It is so strong that there's only one other tenable in the whole Christian world. And that's the position of the Catholic Church. He said, if we're right, you're wrong. If you're right, we're wrong. That's all there is to it. He said, the Protestants haven't a leg to stand on, for if we're wrong, they are wrong with us because they went out from us. And if we're right, we have excommunicated them a long time ago. Now, that's a good statement, and if anybody would stop and analyze it, it's as fine a definite com a statement of fact 
as could be spoken. That's why I said that to that captain. And then he, he went on to say, if we have the, re the continuation of the gospel from the days of the Savior, there was no need of such a man as Joseph Smith. But if we have not that continuation, then such a man as Joseph Smith is necessary. And um, then I always add that, uh, that the Catholic Church and the Bible can't both be right because the Bible definitely declares an apostasy and a restoration in the latter days, and that leaves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the world with the only right to claim the right to, have, to be the true Church of Jesus Christ. Mr. You keep. I still have a few minutes. Yes, five or ten. Why don't you keep me on the heel if I get to going too far? <laughs> Now, coming back to Dr. Hart, that talk, instead of lasting just a few minutes, lasted for two hours. And he had studied for the ministry, and then he um, decided to do, become a pilot instead of a minister. And he said, what if I don't join your church in this life? Oh, I said, that's all right. We'll just let you sleep in the dirt for... Uh, 500 years, a, thousand, a half of a thousand, and we'll come and preach it to you over in the spirit world. And I, when I parted with him, I told him I'd send him a copy of the marvelous work and a wonder that I'd written, the missionary book, if he'd promised to read it. And he said he would. So he gave me his name and address, and I said, the next time I meet you, you'll be an elder in the Mormon church. Then the little steward was, sitting right, stewardess was sitting right next, and I said, how do you feel about spiritual things? She said, well, I um, was raised a Catholic, but I don't feel satisfied with my church. And I said, would you like me to send you one of these books? And she said she would, and she wrote her name and address. Then one of the passengers sitting in the back of the car came up, and he said, could I get one of those books? And I said, you surely could. So he gave me his name and address. Then when we landed in the station, one of the men came up, saw me hobbling with my cane, and he said, where'd you get that cane? And I said, well, I know where I got it, but I can't tell you the address or the name of the company. If you give me your name and your address, I said, I'll write you from Salt Lake and tell you. Then I, uh, I, and then he went to leave. I said, well, you don't get off that easy. I said, I'm a Mormon elder. I said, I want to tell you what we believe. And I said, if you'll read what I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a book, you'll want to join the church. Well, to make the story short, I sent the name to the mission president. He sent the missionaries to them, but they, he wouldn't let them give any of the lessons. He said, all I need is this marvelous work of wonder and the Book of Mormon. So last June, no, just before June 1st, he called me from over in Littleton, Colorado, where he lives, and told me he'd set his baptismal date for the first day of June. And now last week, I received a letter from him, and um, in this letter, I'm going to take time to read you just one paragraph of it to see 
what it means when you call them out of darkness to the Lord's true light. Like Peter said of the church of his day, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That you might show forth the praises of him who hath called you forth out of darkness unto his marvelous light. Now this is his one paragraph. The happiness I have experienced in my heart and soul since uh, joining the church is indescribable. I feel that meeting I had with you and President Kimball really set things into motion for me. Prior to that, I had just been spinning my wheels and searching. Now I know that through the discovery of the restored truth of our Lord, my life has meaning and direction. I want to work for him and do his will. Then he goes on to tell me that he just baptized one of his daughters, that four of them are attending our church with him, his wife and two older daughters haven't yet uh, capitulated, but he said he'd get them. And then the last paragraph, he asked me if I would ordain him an elder next May. I suppose he talked with the stake president, and the stake president indicated by May he'd be ready to be an elder. And you know these pilots, they can fly, fly anywhere for nothing. He said he'd come to Salt Lake, so I wrote him back and told him if he'd bring a letter a recommendation from his stake president that I would be glad to baptize. Now, uh, all they need to do is to uh, have someone lay things out for them so that they can understand it. Then have a little story to illustrate what I mean. I toured the Colorado mission with Brother Hinckley, who lives here in, in Provo, been a stake president and so forth here. And we were holding a meeting over in Nebraska and the leader of the reorganized church in that particular locality honored us with his presence in the meeting. And I went up to him after he seemed very interested, and I said, you have so much to be grateful for. I said, you have the prophet Joseph, and you have the Book of Mormon. But I said, you only have about half of what the prophet Joseph taught. Wouldn't you like to know all about it? I said, you have a half a pie. We got the whole pie. I said, I've written a book. If you'll agree to read it, I'll send it to you. <laughs> so a few weeks after that, I received a letter back from him, and it read like this. He said, I, he thanked me for the book. He said, uh, I read it. He said, and last Saturday, my brother and I were both baptized members of your church, and she, he said, now I've sent the book to one of my uh, friends over in Independence, one of the leaders of the church, and asked him if he'd read it. Well, you know, if we just take time to tell them what we have, why, um, we don't need to worry about their joining the church. Now, let's see what else I want to tell you. <laughs> Here, just a few years ago, we converted a, a Reverend Cook from up in the Northwest, the state of Washington. He wrote a letter to my brother, who was then president of the Northwestern States Mission, in which he said, I've always thought that I had as much authority as any man to administer the ordinances of the gospel 
until I met the Mormon elders. Now I've come to feel that I must accept baptism at their hands. And then after he was baptized, he came down to Salt Lake and he sat in my office and he said this, when I joined the church, I didn't feel that I could say that I knew that Joseph Smith was a prophet, but I believed that he was. But he said, when Brother Burroughs, and I know Brother Burroughs up there, laid his hands on my head and ordained me to the priesthood, he said, I felt something go through me like I'd never felt before in all my life. And I knew that no man could do that for me. It must have come from the Lord. And then he sat in my office and he said, when I think of how little I had to offer my people as a Methodist minister compared with what I now have in the fullness of the gospel as it's been restored, he said, I want to go back and tell my friends what I've found. Now he said, they won't listen to me. I'm an apostate from their church. But he gave up his ministry and that's an honorable calling. Ran the elevator up in our uh, state capitol building so he could join the church. In my office, he pointed to the temple and he said, I can't wait until I can get in there with my wife. I want to be sure I've got her for keeps. That's what it is when people really love truth and they're called out of darkness, as Peter said, under the large true light. Now, um, uh, while I was president of the state down in California, we converted a very prominent attorney down there. And in one of our state conferences, I asked him if he wouldn't like to tell the people what he found in Mormonism that appealed to him. And he stood up. He had a deep, rich voice that just penetrated you. And he said, if you've hunted for something all your life, until you decide that it doesn't exist, and then you just happen to stumble onto it. You don't need anybody to tell you what you found, do you? He said, that's what I did when I found Mormonism. And he said, um, the, the most beautiful thing about it to me is the more I learn about it, the more wonderful it becomes. I've since had the privilege of setting his son apart when he went on his mission and I had such a close contact with that family that when that boy wanted to marry in down in the Los Angeles temple, I even condescended to go down and perform the marriage for him at his request. I don't usually do that away from Salt Lake. Well, brothers and sisters, the gospel's true. We have one of our greatest leaders that I've known and I've known them intimately from President Joseph, Fielding, Joseph F. Smith, Heber J. Grant, uh, George Albert Smith, David O. McKay, uh, Harold, uh, or, uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, Harold uh, uh, Lee, Harold B. Lee, <laughs> and now Spencer W. Kimball. I was thrilled with Brother Granite, Grant Bannington's talk at the conference where he indicated we thought we couldn't get along without Brother Lee. He was a great man and a great leader. But look what we've got today. God bless that noble man. It's a miracle that he's able to do what he is doing with the help that he's had 
during the years of his life. Now I see it's time to close. I know this is God's eternal truth. My, how happy I am to be a member of his church, to bear the name of Christ our Lord. I've just been reading the New Testament again and how, what the miracle, the miracles that he performed. And yet all around us are miracles every day that just thrill me like uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, and I've quoted that here before, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. God help us to take off our shoes and be true to the faith, I pray, and leave you my blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.